Good morning and uh, welcome to Hope Church. My name is Adam and I have the joy and the privilege of leading the church here alongside my good friend Ian Lettington. And today I'd like to speak on the subject of change, uh, of personal change. And the reason I'd like to do that is because if you've been following us over recent weeks, you will know that much of the preaching and the prophetic uh, input that we've received <clears throat> has been focused quite strongly, I think, on God's desire to change us at this, in this particular season. It's, it's as though he wants to run his fingers through us and uh, make some changes. He wants to identify some things that uh, need alteration. And the prophetic is also indicating that this is a really important thing because it's a preparation for a new season when God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit uh, on us. And uh, this is all part of uh, what he wants to do. Now, I just wanted to encourage you though, because over the years we have received a number of prophetic words about God's desire to pour out his Holy Spirit on us. And I just wanted to very quickly remind you of some of them. And here's the first one. In 2015, uh, myself and uh, a previous leader, Mark Hewitt, were at a New Ground Leaders meeting and uh, a bunch of the guys were around us and they were prophesying over us and they said this. Uh, it was quite a long prophetic word, but this one line here, God wanted to open the rivers and pour people like water into this church. In other words, we're going to see a very significant ingathering of people. And then in 2018, our good friend Medad, who's the Ugandan pastor, has a very um, powerful, significant ministry all over the world now. Uh, he was in the UK and uh, he phoned and said, look, I just really feel that God has spoken to me about uh, Hope Church Sevenoaks. And he came and he prophesied a number of things. But if you recall, one of the things he said was, he said he saw a picture of a young eagle just about to fly. And he said, I, I feel God is saying that this church is about to take off. And then also in that same year, uh, I was praying one day and I saw a picture of, uh, 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 of us as a church and we were flying a kite. And then I saw this massive jumbo jet go right over my head. And uh, I felt God say in the picture, I'm turning you from a kite into this massive, powerful jumbo jet, a huge scaling up in terms of the size of what he wanted to do with us. And then, of course, more recently, uh, we've had Miriam's word, which you, I hope, have heard. It's certainly on the YouTube channel if you'd like to hear it. And uh, Miriam spoke about <clears throat> uh, God wanting to prepare us. Do you remember this? He, God wanting to prepare us for an outpouring. And he wanted us to have merry moments where we sit at the feet of Jesus and allow him to speak into our lives. And she said sometimes that could be painful, but it's what God wanted to do uh, at this time. And actually, even more recently, uh, a lady called Abby, who's uh, relatively new to the church, sent me this prophetic word. And she said she saw herself uh, on a beach. And she said everything was very calm. And, but she felt that something was, was going on. And she said, God, what is this? And she felt in the picture God say to her, this is the calm before the storm. And then she felt God say, and the storm is a great outpouring of my spirit. So some very exciting things God has spoken over us as a church and has told us that he wants to do something very significant with us. He wants to pour out his spirit. But I thought it would be helpful for us to see as well that 
this idea of personal change preceding an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is entirely in line actually with the scriptural example that we've been given. It's a biblical precedent for this uh, uh, particular thing because it's exactly of course what we see going on with the 12 disciples. We know of course that when Jesus leaves the 12 he's ascended isn't he into heaven. They are told to go and wait in the upper room and then they experience Pentecost. This is a time when the Spirit of God is poured out in this amazing way. And then suddenly the church roars into life when they've been filled in this very powerful way with the Spirit of God. And we see, first of all, thousands being saved. And then by Acts chapter 5, we see multitudes of people, presumably so many they couldn't count them, multitudes of people being saved. And the Bible also says many signs and wonders were being done regularly uh, by the apostles. Wow, so suddenly these 12, in fact it's 120 of them by this time, have disciples, they have moved into this extraordinary period of growth and expansion, God's blessings all over them. And we see the church launched in this incredible way. However, all of that comes after what is believed to be a three and a half year period where the disciples have been discipled by Jesus. And we know of course that um, uh, from our reading of the gospel that that at times was a pretty intense period of time in their lives and it was a time when Jesus taught them, he challenged them, He tested them and squeezed them and of course he changed them. So by the time that Pentecost happens, this great outpouring of his spirit, I would suggest that we see a very different 12 group of disciples compared to those that started that three and a half years ago. Just we just take a look at a couple of them. Just take a look at Thomas. Look how different Thomas is at the end of his three and a half years compared to the beginning. Thomas started as a hugely cynical man. He didn't believe anything and he didn't uh, apparently even believe Jesus when Jesus told him uh, things. But we see him ending up completely yielding to God, completely believing and receiving what Jesus has told him. He had learned that God was faithful and true and could be fully trusted. Remarkable change we see in this man. And actually, if you look at Peter as well, look at the change that has occurred in Peter's life. Peter went from a man who was very fearful for his own life, for his own skin. But actually, by the end of his period of discipleship under Jesus, Jesus said to him, Peter, feed my sheep. In other words, he was saying, I can see now that you are a good shepherd. You won't run away from your responsibilities in order to save your own skin anymore. You're a man that will stand up and will protect my sheep. So these guys then, they are far from perfect, but they had been discipled. Their doubts and their fears had been addressed to some degree, and they were people that had been tested and changed. So the question then that God seems to be asking us at the moment is this. So will you let me in to change you? 
Now, no one's saying that's an easy thing. Obviously, the process of change can be very difficult. In fact, it was very humbling and very hard for both Thomas and Peter. But it is essential to being prepared and ready for the day of God's power. Psalm 110 talks about a people that are made ready in holiness and ready for the day of his power. So I thought it'd be useful today then to just ask the question, so how? How does God change us and make us ready? Well, I want to take a look at three different ways in which God changes us. Now, look, there are, I'm sure, many other ways in which God uh, changes us, but there's just three particular ways that are on my mind that I'd like to share today. Firstly, I'd like to look at the scripture. This is John 8, 31 to 32. And it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So knowing and believing the truth brings significant change to us. In fact, Romans 12 says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to stop believing what isn't true, and we need to start believing what is true. And you know, sometimes... That, that doesn't have to be a long, difficult, painful process. It can be relatively easy. We can just be told the truth, we can believe the truth, and it can change us. I had a lovely email actually into the office recently from uh, one person, I won't mention their name, uh, but it was, a, it was a guy who, he understood that he, he didn't really understand what it was to be an adopted son of God, and he was determined to see that change. So he opened his Bible at the book of Romans and he read and he read and he reread it and he read it again. And suddenly one day something changed in him and he realized, no, actually I am a son of God. I have been adopted, he is my father. And he said it was a very significant moment and he was excited about it. And then he thought, well, I'd like to know more about what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he did the same. He read everything that he could and he read the word of God about being filled with the Spirit. And as he read and read and prayed, he said one day he suddenly recognized there was a difference about him and he would open his Bible and he said it was like God was speaking to him in a vivid and powerful way from the word of God. It's wonderful. And of course, it's why, like this guy in the picture, we should continue to study our Bibles. We should continue to feed ourselves to read it and reread it and believe it. And of course, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to believe it and understand it. Other times, though, it's not quite as sort of simple or as straightforward as that, is it? Uh, sometimes God uses different mechanisms to help us to change. And one of the things that surprisingly God uses is failure. It's the whole subject of failure. Now, when you look through the gospels, you often find the disciples failing, don't you? Um, uh, but I just wanna say this, you know, failure, when it's used well, it's really valuable. It's a really important part of uh, the change process within us. It's like gold dust to us. 
And it's helpful because it really helps us see what's going on at a heart level. Sometimes when you fail, there's no kind of escaping. <clears throat> it kind of forces us to admit to the truth of what's really going on. Let me give you an example. Uh, we all know the story of Jesus walking on the water. And we know that uh, when Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, he says to him, Lord, can I come out to you? And Jesus says, yeah, come. So Peter gets out on the water. He walks for a bit, but then he begins, he sees the wind and the waves and he grows fearful and he starts to sink. And he cries out, doesn't he? Jesus, save me. So Jesus grabs him and saves him and then says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, <clears throat> we're kind of forced to admit here, Peter didn't accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. He wanted, I think, just to get on the water, talk with Jesus and walk with Jesus and go with Jesus on the water wherever he was going. But he sank. He did kind of fail uh, in this situation. But look what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't only rescue him physically, he then helps him to get the best out of what's just happened. Help him to get the best out of the failure he's just being through. See, Jesus asked Peter to think about something. He says, I want you to think about why you failed. Why did you doubt? God is saying to Peter, I want you to use what's just happened to identify the root or the cause of doubt in your life. Now, of course, we know from the gospel accounts it was fear. But actually, that's where Peter is right now. Look at where Peter is in the book of Acts. Peter is the, gonna be the one who's gonna stand up boldly and proclaim the word of God, and 3,000 are gonna be saved. In chapter eight, we see when persecution comes on the church, Peter is gonna be one of the 12 who are the only people who are not scattered. The rest of the church is scattered, the 12 are not. Something has happened in Peter and he is different to the way he was when he walked on the water. Failure can help us, if we use it well, to go deeper. It can help us to identify things in our hearts that we just don't recognise uh, without that incident occurring. So the question, of course, then we need to ask is, how do we react to failure? Do you go down the pan? Do you have a pity party? Do you go into a bit of self-loathing? Do you say, oh, I'm, I'm just useless, I'm always so useless, I always fail at everything? Is that where you go? Can I just say, please don't affirm yourself in your failure. That's not what God wants to do. God wants to use it constructively. Or maybe when you fail, you just deny it. And you say, no, no, it was somebody else's fault. It was all their fault. It wasn't me, I'm innocent. No, uh, Jesus helps Peter face the fact that he did fail. He doesn't patronize him and say, well, you, walk, you, know, you walked well for a bit. No, he says, you have little faith. This was the problem, Peter. It was a lack of faith. And then he helps him uh, make the best of it. The other thing that God uses then to help us uh, change, and I, boy, do I wish this wasn't in the Bible, but it is, is he uses suffering and difficulty. Now we're all gonna endure seasons 
of hardship and suffering. You might be in one right now, I don't know. But the Bible refers on a number of occasions to hardship, difficulty and suffering. In fact, in 1 Peter, it says this. It says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Suffering, hardship and difficulty is a really necessary refinement of our faith that we all need. And I think the truth is often we're, uh, certainly in the West anyway, we're very shocked by hardship and difficulty. And we're a bit alarmed. Oh, we think it's a disaster. I can't believe this has come. But actually the New Testament is saying, hey, don't be surprised. God permits suffering to come. We read even that, even that Jesus, the Son of God himself, was uh, made perfect through suffering. Well, if Jesus needed to be refined through suffering, then boy, you and I sure do as well. And actually, I think um, sometimes we can only be effectively changed through going through these very tough seasons. And I think that's something that Job knew. If you know your Bibles, you'll know that Job was an Old Testament character and he went through a terrible, terrible period of hardship, extraordinarily difficult period. And if you look in chapter 23 of the book of Job, it seems that Job is having a particularly bad day. I mean, it must have been a very bad day. In a season of bad days, he was having a bad day. But somehow he's able to say this in verse 10. Talking about God, he says, he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. This word is saying that there is gold in the suffering that we endure. Now it's tough, isn't it, to believe that sometimes. It's very tough to believe that that sometimes there's anything good or anything positive that can come out of suffering. We tend to see it all as bad. It's something we wanna get through and out the way and forget about as soon as we possibly can. But actually we need to recognize that God uses suffering and it's an important part of the change process that he's got in mind for us. In fact, the Bible says that suffering produces some incredibly good things in our lives. It says suffering produces endurance. It produces character, really valuable substance called character in us and hope. So it produces endurance, character and hope. And it produces those three things, I think, like nothing else out there. In fact, they, the scripture is so aware of the value of suffering that in uh, James, it, we, we are told to count it all joy. We're actually saying, oh yes, you're suffering. Wow, that's a really valuable thing. So be happy about it. I know it's kind of hard to get your head around that, isn't it? But, but this is what the word of God says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's the end result. It's a bit like, a bit like God's discipline, isn't it? It's awful at the time, terrible. And we just want to get away from it. But actually, it does produce something in us that's excellent in the longer term. 
The other little comfort I can offer, I think, at this stage is the Word of God also says that God will not permit us to be tested beyond what we can endure. That's really helpful to remember in times of suffering. Okay, so there you are. There are three ways that God uses, uh, I believe, to change us. And I hope they're going to help you to respond to God's desire uh, to run his fingers through us. Okay, well, why don't we uh, pray together? So uh, let's just close our eyes. Let's just come before our Father. And I'm just going to pray. Lord, I, I thank you that you know us completely. Thank you that you know what's best and that you want to prepare us for your day of power and for us to be fully involved in that. So Lord, we welcome you to come again and to change us. Father, would you help us believe what's true? Father, would you help us to make the best use of our failures? And Lord, would you help us to even value the outcome of hardship and suffering? Lord, we really need your help but Lord, we are here and we're willing and we want to be changed by you. So come Holy Spirit right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lastly, I just want to say this. If you are watching this and you are going through a difficult time right now, please know that there is a God out there who doesn't want you to go through that difficult time on your own. You know, humans are not designed to do life uh, completely in isolation. So I just want to encourage you to call out to God and ask him right now to come and help you. God wants to make himself known to you. He's known in the Bible as the God of all comfort. He wants to forgive you for the things you've done wrong and become the Lord and saviour of your life. Just want to encourage you really to bow the knee to him today. If you'd like more help with that, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, do give me a, a call or uh, email me. My email is adam at hopechurch7oaks.org. Okay, well, that draws us to the end of my talk today. Uh, great to see you, and I hope to see you at the uh, chat rooms at quarter past 11. God bless you. Thank you.